0: Well, one of the, uh, the greatest proofs of Christianity is the fulfillment of prophecy. That is, uh, that when the Old Testament predicted something, it came true in the New Testament. And particularly when the Old Testament predicted something about Jesus, it became true in Jesus, in the, the life of Jesus of Nazareth born so many years ago and a conservative estimate of the number of verses in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New Testament is about 300. I saw that number. Uh, One person even if you include all typology and things like that was up northwards over 500 Um, depending upon how strict you are regarding things. We have several hundred verses in the Old Testament that predict about Messiah. I mean for instance the Old Testament predicted that Messiah would be born of a woman. Uh, That is, right, the the Messiah wasn't going to be some angelic being who merely appeared on the scene. No, the Messiah was going to be human, and Jesus, in fact, was human. Uh, Further, the Old Testament predicted that the Messiah would be born of of a virgin woman in Bethlehem, and these things came true. Born of a woman, born of a virgin woman, born in Bethlehem, three of many Old Testament passages that predicted Messiah, and he would be born. The Old Testament predicted Messiah would be of the lineage of, of Abraham, in whom all the families would be blessed in Jesus. And that indeed was. But even in the Old Testament, it narrows this down. Not just Abraham, but it's Isaac. And not only Isaac, it's Jacob. And not only Jacob, but it's Judah. Not only Judah, but of the tribe, of, uh, of the lineage of David. And as Jesus was born... The lineage of David, you can read about that in Matthew chapter 1, he fulfilled all those requirements of who the Messiah would come from. The Old Testament predicted a massacre of children during the time of Messiah's birth. The Old Testament predicted that Messiah would spend some time in Egypt before he came to minister and he'd minister in Galilee. The Old Testament spoke about how the Messiah would speak in parables and all these things took place. The Old Testament predicted that a messenger would come before the Messiah to prepare the way. John the Baptist was the fulfillment of that as he came and preached a baptism of repentance. And how often he said, I'm not the Christ. No, but He's the Christ. He's the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. Speaking of Jesus, of course. The the, The Old Testament predicted the Spirit of the Lord would come upon the Messiah. That He would proclaim liberty to those who are oppressed that He would open the eyes of the blind, that He would open the ears of the deaf, that He would strengthen the feet of the lame so they could walk. And all of these things came to pass in the ministry and life of Jesus. The Old Testament said that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem on a donkey and that He would be praised by little children and, and be crowned a king and be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. All of that happened exactly as the Old Testament proclaimed the Old Testament predicted the Messiah would be falsely accused, hated without a cause, mocked and insulted, and be silent before his accusers. All these different passages of the Old Testament predicted Jesus exactly. The Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would be struck down and his sheep would scatter. He'd be forsaken of God, forsaken by God. He'd be put to death with both pierced hands and pierced feet, though none of his bones would be broken, even though he was pierced in the side. The Old Testament foretold Messiah would be buried in a rich man's grave, resurrected from the dead, and ascended and sit at the right hand of God the Father. And all that came to pass exactly as the Old Testament had predicted. You know, And down through the years, people have looked at these things and become convinced of the truths of the gospel. The overwhelming odds of all these prophecies being predicted and actually happening in the person of Jesus is proof that God so ordained these things to take place. That Jesus really was the Messiah who came to save His people from their sins and that through faith you can have eternal life in Him. The convincing nature of the Old Testament prophecy that leads people to Jesus is especially true of Jewish people. Those who who grew up with the Scriptures they were taught as children. They they memorized. They they knew. And then in the New Testament when they come and see Jesus, right? Their eyes are open of all that they have been talked about. It's like Zechariah twelve, ten comes to bear, where they, they look upon him whom they have pierced and they mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. Right? Finally seeing Jesus, who their people, right, the Jews, they crucified. Then their eyes are, are opened. Now it doesn't happen often. But it happens enough. I was just reading, listening to a testimony of this man last night, Michael Rydelnik. And you know anything about this man? You ever heard of him before? Yeah, where is he, Gary? You've heard of him? All right. He's a professor of Jewish studies at the Moody Bible Institute. And so if you turn on MBI, I know it's difficult to get out here, WMBI, but he, he's on the radio often answering questions. And last night, I just knew he was a Jewish man, and just listening to his testimony, he he told the story that many Jews have told. For the sake of time, I can't tell you his story, but it's all the same as many people's story, that he grew up a a Jew, denied that Jesus was the Messiah, and then he encountered some Christians who began to open the Bible and explain that Jesus was everything that the Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would be, and And he, like many Jews, resisted and argued and denied that could be the case. No, Jesus is not the Messiah. He's not the Messiah. No, he's not. And yet, eventually, by God's grace, he bowed the knee and came to faith in Jesus. Like many Jews have done before. Many are still hardened. There's Romans 11, speaks about this hardening has come upon Israel but there will be a day when there will be worldwide revival uh, among the Jews. But that, that's what happened. It's the Old Testament that, that prophesied in the New Testament, seeing how much is fulfilled in Jesus. And now this man, Michael Redelnick, at Moody Bible Institute, right, teaches many students. And he's on the airways a lot. We can pick him up even here in Rockford, just to listen to him. And Ivana's even told me that she loves listening to him, his attitude, his perspective, his biblical answers to questions that are posed. It's wonderful. Well, this morning as we come to our next passage in the book of Acts, we've been preaching through verse by verse uh, through the the, uh, book of Acts, we see Paul putting forth a few ways in which Jesus fulfilled the scriptures and thereby proved himself to be the Messiah. So if you haven't opened your Bibles already, I invite you to open them, turn them on to Acts chapter 13. This morning we're going to look at verses 26 through 41, Um, it's really the second half of Paul's sermon that he preached from the pew. If you remember last week, we looked at the story of how Paul and Barnabas were on their first missionary journey, right? We've been looking at this map of them starting in Antioch of Syria, and they walked down to Seleucia by the sea. And then they boarded a boat and set sail for the island of Cyprus. There they landed on the eastern shore at Salamis, and they walked across the island on their preaching tour, preaching in the synagogues. They arrived in in Paphos and um, Then last week, we saw how they boarded that boat in Paphos and sailed north to land in Pergia Pamphylia and then and then ascend about uh, three thousand five hundred feet up to Antioch, about ninety miles away there in the mountains and and there in Antioch in Pisidia. They entered the synagogue, and presumably sitting innocently, as I tried to display last week, somewhere in the back, just joining the synagogue service. And they were given opportunity to speak, and Paul did speak. He preached a full-on sermon from the pew. And I trust if you were here last week, you won't ever forget that, of just a sermon preached, not from up front, but from the congregation and last week, we focused our attention on the first half of the sermon, the first half of the sermon that Paul preached. Paul preached about the working of God through history, beginning with Abraham, and working his way through Moses, and Joshua, and the judges, and Samuel, and Saul, and David. And, and, and Paul's point was that God remained faithful to Israel, even when they disobeyed in the wilderness. It even says that God had to put up with them, verse 18. Put, he just kind of endured them in the wilderness. Uh, They disobeyed him during the days of judges, but God still provided them judges. They even disobeyed when they rejected God as their king, and they asked for a king. Verse 21, Saul was the one who God gave, and through it all, though God was faithful to Israel, verse 23 is really the, the key of where Paul was going. Of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, just as he promised in other words, right, God was working through the history of Israel, through its up and downs, right, remaining faithful to make sure that He would bring them a Savior who's brought just according to His promises, and that Savior was Jesus. And then beginning this week, so we look at verse 26, we, we see Paul that makes a turn. He turns from the history of Israel and the working of God to how Jesus was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. In fact, the title of my message this morning is The Fulfillment of Prophecy. First off, Paul looks at how Jesus fulfilled prophecy in his death. Listen to verses 26 through 29. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Well, if you look carefully at these four verses, you can see two times that Paul explicitly mentions Jesus Fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament. The first comes in verse 27. Look at it again. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize Him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning Him. In condemning Jesus, they fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. Unknowingly, right? Jesus came, they didn't recognize Him, and they did everything that the Bible said that they would do. There's fulfillment of prophecy instead of understanding the scriptures and recognizing jesus they condemned him to death fulfilling the scriptures the second time that paul mentions the fulfilling of prophecies in the old testament comes in verse 29 paul takes them to jesus upon the cross He says in verse 29 and when they had carried out all that was written of him they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb now the word fulfillment is not in verse 29 here but the idea is definitely there of, of carrying out all that was written of him. That's what fulfilled prophecy is. It's carrying out everything that was written beforehand. And this idea of Jesus fulfilling the prophecy in the Old Testament is Paul's point in the second half of his sermon. First off, we see prophecy fulfilled in his death. And what that means, verse 26, is it means salvation. Look, look what Paul says. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. Paul right here is just cutting to the chase. His his main point, that the message of salvation is coming to these people in Antioch. These Jews in Antioch who are worshiping the Lord according to the Old Testament, the the message is coming. The message of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the Savior, is coming. The one that God had promised to send. Verse 23 again, right? Of this man's offering, that of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. He promised it in the Old Testament, and now it comes in the New Testament. Jesus came. And really, the burden of Paul's message this morning is that they, those present in that synagogue in Antioch, would embrace Jesus as their Savior. Of course, that's my burden this morning as well, is that you all would embrace Jesus as your Savior. And I'm thankful I've heard the testimony of many, most of you, that you have embraced Christ and trusting in Him for forgiveness of sins and made right with God. But there may be some here who aren't, who haven't embraced and trusted Jesus. You may be here a lot. Maybe you're playing the game of church. Right? Each Sunday you come with a smiling face and a, and a happy face looking fine. But if we knew everything about your life, we'd know that not everything is fine in your life. You're far from faith in Jesus and you're far from God. The burden of my message, right, is that none of us would leave this room not trusting in Christ. That's Paul's burden, and he's earnest about his burden. You can see his earnestness in how he addressed the people. Look there in verse 26, the first word, it says, brothers. That's a term of endearment. And it's interesting, there's a real subtle point in the book of Acts, but you probably haven't noticed, I haven't even mentioned it, but in sermons in Acts... When when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and when he preached after the lame man was healed, he, he starts off with this generic calling people men of Israel or men of Judah. And then when he gets down to it, he says, Brothers, listen to me. That's what he does, is this this tender call. Brothers, God has overlooked the time of ignorance, but now he's calling everyone to repent. Brothers, know that God has made this Jesus Lord and Christ whom you have, have crucified. It's coming down right here to this, brothers. I think that's what Paul is doing, following the example of maybe Jewish preaching that, that just begins, if you look in verse 16, about men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. But now there's this greater intimacy. Brothers, you're, you're sons of the family of Abraham. Those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation This message has come to us. And and really, he continues on then to describe how Jesus was sent to fulfill the Old Testament Scriptures. Again, verse 27, For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb." Paul's saying this in verse 27. Those in Jerusalem should know better. They should have known better. They they had heard the Scriptures every week in their meetings. And, And as I told you last week, that the meetings of the synagogues are much like our meetings today. We read the Scripture. We sing. Maybe they chanted back then. Maybe they sang. They probably did. We pray. They prayed. We teach and they teach. Every week that was in the synagogue... Read and sing and pray and teach and read and sing and pray and teach all about the Scriptures, all about the Lord, over and over, week after week. And those living in Jerusalem would have heard many passages about the Messiah and would have heard the rabbis talk about the Messiah. They would have read passages like Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy." And they should have recognized that happened when Jesus came. That was Jesus. And so when Jesus was doing all these miracles, they would have just gone back, I remember reading in Isaiah 35, that's it. But those in Jerusalem failed to recognize him. Or they would have heard passages like Psalm 35, which describes the ill treatment that David received. Psalm 35, verse 7, Without cause, they hid their net for me. Without cause, they dug a pit for my life. Verse 11, malicious witnesses rise up. Verse 12, they repay me evil for good. Verse 19, they hate me without a cause. They do not speak peace but against those who are quiet in the land and devise words of deceit. And they should have looked and seen that what they were doing with Jesus was wrong. This is totally wrong to hate him without a cause and to rise up malicious witnesses, false witnesses against this man. They should have seen this was wrong and this is bad. Why are we doing this to this man? Maybe he's a special man. They would have known their treatment of Jesus was wrong. They should have recognized He was the Messiah. And the Jews in the synagogue would have heard Zechariah nine, 9 read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your King is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as He, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. When Jesus came into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday and seeing Him riding on His donkey, with the people shouting out, Hosanna, son of David, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? Hosanna, Hoshiana means save us now, Lord, please. And and, and seeing Jesus being worshipped and saying, Jesus, Hosanna, save us now with reflections back even to Psalm one eighteen on their minds. They they should have understood and recognized, along with the crowd, the rulers should have recognized, along with the crowds, that this one was coming to save. Instead, the rulers were indignant. And they asked Jesus to rebuke the crowds and tell them to be quiet. They didn't understand Psalm 118. And Jesus, even when he entered into the city of Jerusalem, he told them the story about those who rejected um, the the, man's servants and the man's sons, he says, Have you not read that the stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone? And they didn't. It was like their eyes were blind. Like their eyes were blind to the spiritual truth that was going on. Within a week, the leaders had turned the people from giving praise to Jesus to crying out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And that's exactly what Paul alludes to here in verse 28, if you look. Though they found no guilt in him <clears throat> worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. If you read the gospel accounts, you'll read something about how Pontius Pilate interrogated Jesus looking for something that he did wrong. And he could find nothing wrong with Jesus. Repeatedly then, Pilate went to the crowds and said, he's done no wrong. But they insisted that they, they destroy Jesus and they put him to death. And he says, what has he done What evil has he done? And the crowds were like, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate saw he was getting nowhere and saw a riot was beginning and finally took some water. And he washed his hands before the people and he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. And then he handed him over to be crucified. And verse 29 continues on. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Even when Jesus... Was there on the cross. Unable to do anything himself. The scriptures were being fulfilled. Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected. He was bearing our griefs. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bearing our sin in his body on the cross. Jesus fulfilling scripture there. Even in his burial He fulfilled the scriptures. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. Isaiah 53 verse 9 speaks about. So so just even here as we think about Jesus. Fulfilling prophecy in his death. It's just there. Just everything about him. Fulfilling prophecy as he died. But Paul goes on to describe. How Jesus fulfilled prophecy in his resurrection. Verse 30 is the big turn. But. God raised him from the dead. Though the people put Jesus to death, God raised him from the dead. That is, he put life back into the corpse of Jesus, right? The body of Jesus was cold, lying on a slab, wrapped in a turban. But God warmed the body and brought it back to life. And this wasn't some mysterious backroom, sort of uh, behind the curtain, no proof sort of miracle. This was a miracle front and center for many to see. Verse 31 says this. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And that's how the book of Acts began. Remember that? It begins with Jesus raised from the dead, appearing to his disciples and teaching them for 40 days regarding the, the kingdom of God. And then the disciples right, became witnesses. These are the witnesses who are now as witnesses to the people. And that's exactly in accordance with what Jesus prophesied. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And that's where they were. They were witnesses right there in Jerusalem and then there were witnesses in Judea and Samaria, close by. And now even we see being witnesses outside of that. But it's interesting here that we see the baton being passed. It's not some of the 11 tribe disciples, the 12 disciples, who Jesus prophesied, you'll be witnesses. It is now passed on to Paul and Barnabas, who are now witnesses to the congregation there in Antioch. And the baton has been passed even to us, right? The, the burden of of... My preaching through Acts has been this, that you need to be my witnesses. Be the witness of Jesus. That's what he's calling us to do. That was first the apostles and then it's Paul and Barnabas as, as they went out. And, and now it's, it's others. It's everyone. Everyone who believes and trusts in Christ should be his witnesses. But he's witnessing right here to those Jews who are in the synagogue in Antioch. And, and look what their witness about, verse 32. And we bring you the good news, right? Good news means gospel. Or gospel means good news, whatever. We're bringing you this good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. And here again, we see this for, this uh, fulfillment motif. Fulfillment of the scripture. God promised in the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus. And that's good news. It's good news that, that Jesus raised from the dead. That's what God promised. What God promised the fathers, the Messiah would come and he would raise from the dead. He fulfilled that to us by raising up Jesus. Jesus conquered death so that we can conquer death as well through faith in him. That's why we need to believe in Jesus. That's why all of you need to believe in Jesus. It's because through faith in Jesus, you can par- be a participant in his resurrection, If we would ever expect to conquer life, if we'd ever expect to live on after this life, right, we must believe in the one who paved the way, the one who conquered death for us. And we become united with him in death that we might be glorified with him as a joint heir, a fellow heir of the kingdom with Jesus. You know, this is my Bible reading and going through Ephesians and Colossians in recent days. And it's astonishing what it says there about how Christ Jesus was raised from the dead and that those who believe in him are raised up and seated with him in the heavenly places, right with Christ Jesus. It's our union with Christ because we've been raised to dead from the dead with him spiritually. And we can anticipate that physically as well, just as Jesus was raised physically. And at this point in Paul's sermon then, speaking about fulfilling prophecy, he brings up three Old Testament scriptures, giving proof for the resurrection that Jesus fulfilled these scriptures in being raised. The first comes from Psalm 2, and the second from Isaiah 55, and the third from Psalm 16. And when you put all these together, right, you see strong proof for the resurrection. And some of these are more difficult. Um, They're not just simple and straightforward, but Paul is arguing that these passages together argue for the resurrection. The first two are a bit more cryptic and the last one, however, is crystal clear. But here is Psalm 2 is quoted in verse 33. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Psalm 2 is a great Psalm. It's a, a Davidic Psalm. It's a royal Psalm. It's a coronation Psalm that describes the anointed The Christ, the Messiah, being lifted up and installed on Mount Zion as king. And for the only way for the the king to reign over the eternal city is for the king to live eternally. And I believe that's Paul's point here is that we see in Psalm 2 the the begotten Son of God. The Son of God. the, The Son, if you will, seated on the throne, alive and well, ruling and reigning over His kingdom. And for the apostles, right? It's what they always preached. Right? It didn't just end at the resurrection. It always ended at the resurrection and then the ascension and then the exaltation. Remember how many times that's been? And I've encouraged you, right? The simple outline of what they preached. The life of Jesus. The death of Jesus. The burial of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. The ascension of Jesus. And the exaltation of Jesus. And that's what he's talking about here. Jesus ascended into heaven, exalted at the right hand of God. Psalm 2 speaks about the Messiah in the midst of conflict overcoming the rule, overcoming those in opposition to Him. Psalm 2 begins with the nations raging against the Lord and against the Messiah, just like what took place in Jerusalem when Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the Jews, gathered together against Jesus and put Him to death. That was the very time where the, then the king was set on Zion, as the Lord says, Psalm 2, verse 6, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And the only way that can happen is if he raised from the dead. That's Paul's argument. That's the first scripture. then the second scripture, Paul mentions, comes in verse 34. And it speaks here, and this one's more difficult. It says, ask for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. It comes from Isaiah 55 and verse 3. And what's interesting here, this doesn't specifically speak about the resurrection, but it speaks about Jesus being the one who's tied with the blessings of David. It brings us back to all that was promised to David. He promised an eternal kingdom and that one of his descendants would sit upon his throne forever. That's the holy and sure blessing of David, right? When when David died, the promise to David didn't die. Instead, they were fulfilled in Jesus. And that's especially clear then when you get to verse 35 that this Davidic promise which, which was then bestowed upon Jesus then raising from the dead, the resurrection is explicitly clear here in Psalm 16, what he quotes in verse 35. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. This is a promise given to David. That he would not abandon his soul to Hades, but the Holy One would not ever see Corruption or decay. It's interesting that, that you read Psalm 16, it's almost as if it's talking to David. But what we see here is that it can't be talking to David because David died and he was abandoned to Sheol, to Hades. And his body did go decay. That's what Paul explains here in verse 36 and 37. He said this promise that, that, that was given to David it says David, after he'd served the purpose of God in his own generation... In other words, after he had been raised up as king and after he had reigned over Israel and given vision for the temple and led the people, after he'd served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, was laid with his fathers, and saw corruption. He fell asleep, that is, he died. He was laid with his fathers, that is, he was buried, and he saw corruption, that is, his flesh decayed. He was buried in the holy city. His body... Is in the tomb, is a tomb till this day. Now there's a there's a place in Israel where tourists go and and they they show this is David's tomb. Right, it's the same place where the upper room is. Probably not his place, but there is an idea that that they have his tomb there in David someplace. His bones are there someplace. He's decayed away, but not so with Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead. His days and nights in the tomb were not enough to decay his body. Now he has a resurrection body. And the resurrection of Jesus has implications. right? And Paul brings that implication for us. The biggest one it comes in verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. This is what Paul is speaking about in the synagogue. He's coming, he's saying forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you in Jesus. Jesus is the path to forgiveness of sins. And by Him, he says in verse 39, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And this is the good news that Paul proclaimed, that believe in Jesus and your sins will be forgiven. Believe in this risen one and he'll wash away your sins. Now there's no greater news for us than could be on the planet that that made right here, right? that we can be made right with our Creator, that all our sins can be forgiven through the work of Christ on the cross, that he was the sacrifice for our sins. And then even here, he speaks about the law of Moses. And we can have freedom from the law of Moses. The law of Moses said, well, if you sin, you need to go to Jerusalem. And you need to bring an animal sacrifice to the priest so that he will offer sacrifice for you. But now in Jesus, the Jews didn't have to do that anymore because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. This is good news, right? Especially for those in Antioch to travel back to Jerusalem To offer up an animal for their sins? That's a a long journey. Would have taken weeks, if not months, even to get back there to Jerusalem. Just to offer up that sacrifice. And he says, in Jesus, you can have sins forgiven. And you can be freed from the law of Moses. You can be freed from the tyranny of the law, which comes down, which says you need a, a Sacrifice. In fact, even the law of Moses, lots of other things, it taught you about how to worship an exact way of how you need to do those things and, and how you need to give and how you need to farm and dress and, and when you had a, a, a diet to keep. And if ever you transgressed that law, you needed to go to Jerusalem. He says, but no, no, forgiveness comes simply through faith in Jesus. And that's why Christianity can be a global religion because we simply need to believe and trust in Christ wherever we are. Whether that's here in in the United States or whether it's in South America, whether it's in Asia, whether it's Africa, right? Wherever you are, you simply believe in Jesus. We don't need to go to Jerusalem anymore. There's freedom from the law of Moses. And that's because the Messiah changed this all because he was raised from the dead in vindication that he was the one who was the perfect sacrifice that was offered up to God. That's right. And, And we're under the freedoms of grace. And grace empowers us to do what's right and to walk in God's ways. But we no longer have to go through the rituals of the Mosaic Covenant anymore. And finally, we see fulfillment of prophecy in Antioch. Actually, it's really not a fulfillment of prophecy now. It's more of a a warning of prophetic fulfillment. He says, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophet should come about. And then he quotes from Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 5. says, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Now, when Paul spoke these words, they were not yet fulfilled in Antioch. But there was a warning, lest they be fulfilled, and even next week we will see, sadly, that they were fulfilled. That many Jews in Antioch heard what Paul said, and did not believe the message, even though it was told to them. Now, the scripture passage here comes from Habakkuk chapter 1, in which Habakkuk is bringing a hard message to Judah. Habakkuk 1 verse 6 says, here's the message, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, nasty nation, to come and destroy you. And the people of Israel had a hard time believing that, because they had all the the. Well, the prophets, you just read Jeremiah, which I've been reading in recent days as well. Just They say, peace, peace, but there's no peace. And even as reading, I think it was uh, uh, Jeremiah 26, maybe 28, where a prophet was prophesying, no, everything's going to be okay. Hezekiah is go- not going to come and conquer. And, and Jeremiah is saying, no, going Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and conquer. He's going to come and destroy us. We need to prepare for that. And these prophets are saying, no, he's not. No, he's not. And so when Habakkuk realized God's saying, no, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to come and destroy you, it, they were conflicted. And even though they said this, they refused to believe it. Because Judah was God's people. God wouldn't bring the Chaldeans against his people. But God did. And Paul warns those in Antioch with the same heart. But rather than a message of destruction, Paul brings a message of forgiveness and grace and restoration right it, it, in fact paul said my message is so wonderful for you that you may not even believe it this message that comes and says simply believe in the messiah and you're made right with him no i need to do something you, you know it is interesting that when you speak with people in the world they want to have to do something for their salvation they don't understand grace they, they, they want to work well if well, I, I gotta like do something for god no the message is grace free forgiveness simply by believing and this message is so wonderful that that few believe it. In fact, I would I would say the message of the Bible and the gospel is so wonderful that many of us don't believe it at times. And think about um, Romans 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You ever felt guilty for your sins? A sin that you commit? Do you ever feel guilty? That's unbelief. Because the Bible says you're in Christ Jesus... There's no condemnation for you. But guilt means like, oh, I'm condemned. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm bad. I'm wrong. And, and, but he says there's no condemnation. You're free in Christ. Now, there is proper remorse for sin, but there's not guilt. And that's the idea here is that Paul's bringing this great message of salvation to these unbelievers. And it is so wonderful, but they refuse to believe it even though they did. And that application really comes to us, right? Do you believe? Do you believe in this message which is so wonderful and that someone even telling you today, you to, no, I, I don't believe that. And we're going to see the ugly fruit of that next week when the Jews are jealous of the crowds and they, they began reviling Paul what he's saying about these things. Oh, no, Paul, you're wrong. Jesus wasn't the Messiah. He didn't fulfill all those things. And so they even, if you look at verse 50, they incited devout women of the city and, and the leading men. Of the city to stir up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. They drove him out of town because they hated his message. They hated the message of grace that came. Do you believe in this message of grace? Do you believe that Jesus brought forgiveness of sins? It's this great, wonderful message. If if nothing else, believe in the fulfillment of prophecy. The hundreds of scriptures which were fulfilled in his death. And fulfilled in his resurrection. And sadly was fulfilled in Antioch and may it not be fulfilled at Rock Valley Bible Church. Let's just pray. Father, I pray this morning, even for potential hard hearts, God, that just may not believe and embrace, God, but may go through the motions or may say they believe but not really embrace. Father, what wonderful news this is, what a wonderful message it is. And I pray that the the prophecy of Habakkuk that took place to those in in Judah where there even Habakkuk the prophet himself didn't believe. Because he argued with God, how could it be that you raise up this wicked nation against us, your people? And yet you did. And Father, how, how many there are who would resist the message of Jesus, especially even Jewish people. <clears throat> God, who know the Scriptures well and would re- and deny that Jesus is the Messiah. God, before us, I, I pray you'd give us soft hearts, give us inquisitive hearts that go back and even look at Psalm 2 and Isaiah 55 and Psalm 16 and understand the, the resurrection in those verses and would go and, and think about the, all the prophecies of Jesus and come to see and be comforted in our souls that indeed Christ Jesus died on the cross for our sins According to the scriptures, God may that be what, what stirs us and enlarges our heart and strengthens us in these days. God help us and be among us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.